Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a stuntman to do their home renovations. Just finished a new sunroom, Mrs. C. The best part is, I used candy glass for all the windows, so you can do this. And this. Doesn't hurt a bit, either. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. And if you don't want to take the long way to the kitchen, the walls are breakaway, too. See? For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. The Exxon Radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Your tired carols Welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. We're coming to you live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network and our fine family of broadcast affiliates Throughout the United States, Canada, Central America, the Caribbean, South America, the Pacific Rim, and now in 20 Asian countries on satellite Aglia 2. Our toll-free number is one 877 That's toll-free throughout the U.S., Canada, Alaska, and Hawaii. My email address is xzone at talkstarradio.com. On MSN Messenger, talkstarradio at hotmail.com. And our website's www.exxonradio.com and www.exxontv.com. Uh, here are the 15 headlines to exemplify the strange happenings that took place in the workplace in 2007. Number one, employees 32 vending machine items for charity. Number two, Cola Wars get physical as Pepsi worker attacks Coca employee. Number three, alleged robber asks victim out for date. Number four, woman fired for gossiping. Number five, owed lawsuit, woman sues over scent. Number six, Salt Lands McDonald in Salt Lands McDonald's employee in jail. Number seven, carpenter free to ply trade in the nude. Number eight, Southwest Airline employees tell passengers her outfit won't fly. Number 9, employee accused of faking being a cop. Number 10, employee took 1 million screws home from factory. Number 11, deputy nabbed twice for DUI by her husband. Number 12, worker killed after seeking raises. Number 13, man demands coupon from radio station employee. Number 14, Wienermobile gets cop roasted. 
And number 15, drive-through dispute gets suspect jail food. Uh, let me see. I'm just going to read a couple of the uh, stories behind these weird and wacky, um, weird and wacky uh, headlines. Let me see. Where was the one? Oh, here. Employee, of, uh, employee, employee accused of faking being a cop. A Taco Bell employee was arrested for impersonating a law enforcement officer and attempting to arrest his managers and co-workers. He passed himself off as an undercover narcotics investigator, going as far as typing fake criminal histories on the general manager, two shift managers, and an employee, and telling them that they were going to get arrested. And uh, number 10, which was the employee, took one million screws home from the factory. An assembly worker hid screws in a specially designed hiding place and took up to 7,000 home with him every day. Over a two-year period, he stole more than 1.1 million screws with an estimated value of $155,000. He allegedly sold the screws over the Internet at discount prices. And one more, I guess we've got time for. Oh, we got time for two more, do we? Uh, Mobile gets cop roasted. When a 27-foot-long, 11-foot-tall vehicle known as the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile was slowly... Uh, traffic it was slowing traffic in a construction zone in Arizona. An officer ran its yummy license plate to make sure it was street legal. A bad computer e- entry erroneously showed the Wienermobile as having stolen plates, forcing the officer to pull it over. After further investigation, the officer learned that the entry should have read the license plate had been stolen, but only if found on any vehicle that isn't a giant hot dog. And uh, let me see one more. Okay. Uh, carpenter free to ply trade in the nude. A carpenter caught hammering, nails, and sawing wood in the nude, nude says he prefers working in the buff because it's more comfortable and helps keep his clothes clean. The carpenter was found not guilty of indecent exposure. And let me see. Oh, here we are. The final one. Alleged robber asks victim out for date. After two men robbed a Domino's pizza delivery woman, one of them called the victim from his cell phone to apologize and asked her out for a date. There we are, some of the weird headlines from the workplace in the year 2007. Now, when we come back from the uh, news, uh, at, from this two-minute commercial break, joining me will be my friend Frank Joseph, who is the editor-in-chief of Ancient American Magazine. And we're going to be talking about ancient America and some traditions when we return on the other side of this two-minute break, right here live and around the world from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on Talkstar. Don't go away. Meet me under the mistletoe, midnight Christmas Eve. Your sweet kiss is the first gift I'd like to receive The presents that we bought will have to wait beneath the tree Meet me under the mistletoe, midnight Christmas Eve There's frost on... And welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. Uh, top five reasons why Rudolph's nose is red. Number one is Smirnoff. Number two, while pregnant, his mother was scared by the Energizer Bunny. Number three, because because red ears would look silly. Number four, always wanted to be an electric clown. And number five, it's a great way to meet does. 
And the five least wanted Christmas gifts this year, a membership in the Fruitcake of the Month Club. Number two, the official Rocky Balboa Metamucil. Number three, a gift card for that weird store in the mall, Just Figs. Number four, anything from Taco Bell. And number five, a copy of Jessica Simpson's new book, Blank Pages for Dummy. One eight seven seven five two eight eight two five five is toll free. Joseph Smith, uh, Frank Joseph is our special guest. Joseph Smith, yes, I was watching Mick Romney today. What can I say? Uh, Frank Joseph is our special guest. He is the author and editor in chief of Ancient American Magazine. Uh, he is a popular science uh, writer, and uh, in, he describes in the magazine the arrival of overseas visitors to North America before Christopher Columbus. Frank was born in Chicago and completed his studies at Southern Illinois University School of Journalism. Now, since then, he's traveled around the world gathering material for his books about lost civilizations and metaphysics, which have been published in dozens of foreign languages. And Frank Joseph, welcome back to the X-Zone. How are you, Frank? Thank you so much, Rob. Uh, I'm sorry I'm not Joseph Smith, but uh, I'll do the best I can. <laughs> oh, my God! Uh, you see, that's what happened. I was ha- watching the same program oh, that you were on the Mormon the other night, so it's <laughs> perfectly understandable. I'm often mistaken for Joseph Smith. No, I better not go there. Oh, jeez. Sorry about that. Uh, watch, you'll have Rick. Uh, you'll have uh, Mr. Romney and his gang after you. Sure, they. I'm not going to follow that. <laughs> so what's new? What's new with Ancient American Magazine? Well, we're still alive. Put it that way. That's something to be thankful for. Uh huh. But, uh, no, uh, we've got uh, some interesting material that relates directly to the holiday season, as it turns out. Um, I think most of our listeners would be interested to know that long before the first modern Christians arrived in North America, or the Americas at all, Mm -hmm. um, this time of the year was a major period of celebration for Native Americans from, from Canada all the way on down to the tip of South America. And uh, we know that for a fact, even though these people did not leave a written record, they did leave um, their uh, celebratory buildings behind. And there's a site in southern Wisconsin called At to Land. It's an archaeological park. It's open to the public. Anybody can go there. And it's remarkable because it contains the the most northerly pyramids in the world. Most people don't associate Wisconsin with pyramids, but in fact, these are, uh, there's only two left. Originally were three in this ceremonial center called Aztalan. And just across the river from where this archaeological site is, there's a hill mm-hmm. that's always been known as Christmas Hill. Now, nobody knows why it was ever known as Christmas Hill. It was just always called Christmas Hill. And until about, oh, I'd say 25 years ago, there was a fella, his name was Professor James Shares at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, and he was doing some surveying of this site, this Aztalan, these pyramids, and he found a rather peculiar thing, that there was a specific, deliberate alignment, an astronomical alignment between the largest of these pyramids at Aztalan and the site called Christmas Hill. So he did some further surveying, and he found that this pyramid, which is referred to by archaeologists as the Pyramid of the Sun, Mm -hmm. for reasons that will soon be made clear, is perfectly aligned with the summit of Christmas Hill, 
on the sunrise of the winter solstice. So somehow that information, that uh, alignment, was passed down even through early pioneers who, whose descendants have since forgotten why it was called Christmas Hill. But in fact, around Christmas time, the sun will arise perfect, in perfect alignment with the summit of the Pyramid of the Sun. Well, this led uh, Professor Shears to make uh, more investigations of Aztalan, and he was astounded to find out that this site, which is between Milwaukee and Madison in southern Wisconsin, about maybe an hour's drive north of the Illinois border, that this site, Aztalan, is an incredibly complex observatory. And its major orientation is to the uh, winter solstice sunrise, uh, which oscillated between, and still oscillates, of course, uh, between uh, December 21st and December 25th each year. And this was the main fix of this highly complex society. Isn't that strange? Yeah. What's remarkable is that archaeologists have since learned that some of these ancient sites across North America and all the way down to South America are also primarily aligned astronomically with sunrise of the winter solstice, the same period between the 21st and the 25th of December. The most uh, dramatic of all these places is in uh, Bolivia. Mm -hmm. High in the Andes Mountains is a very famous place called Tijuanaco. Yes. And back in the 1920s, there was a very brilliant um, archaeologist. His name was Arthur Pozansky. And he determined that the, the gateway of the sun, as it was referred to by the local Indians there, the Aymara Indians, that the gateway to the sun was at one time oriented specifically and deliberately also to sunrise of the winter solstice, but it is no longer oriented to the sol solstice because of the change over time, precession. And Pozansky was able to determine that that gateway to the sun at Tijuanaco was perfectly oriented to sunrise of the winter solstice 12,000 years ago which means that he concluded that that building is between 10 and 12,000 years old, which, of course, enormously predates anything known of that kind built. And he still, his ideas are still very much opposed by mainstream archaeologists who are nonetheless unable to explain why this gate was so perfectly aligned to the winter solstice sunrise 12,000 years ago, but it's not perfectly aligned today. So there are other sites like this, uh, there's another one in, in southern Illinois, uh, just across the Mississippi River from St. Louis. It's called Cahokia. And it is also a very large pyramidal site, much larger than Aztalan. And its main feature is called Monk's Mound. It's a gigantic uh, temple mound. And just beyond it, walking distance beyond it, is an astronomical computer. It was built with uh, wooden posts, cedar posts that were aligned to specific um, astronomical phenomena, but again, its main orientation between this, uh, what they call Woodhenge, this astronomical computer, and the Great Mound, the Monk's Mound of Cahokia, mm -hmm. is again winter sun solstice sunrise. So it would appear that Native Americans, long before the advent of modern Christianity, were already celebrating this time of the year as a period of renewal, as their greatest holiday because, of course, uh, the days get shorter and shorter and the light uh, gets more precious and 
uh, less obvious. And then on the sunrise of the winter solstice, the cycle is broken, the light comes back. So obviously light is associated with life itself. And the same concept, of course, is understood in the Christian idea of Jesus Christ, the symbol of rebirth and renewal, uh, resurrection and so on. Mm-hmm. So these ideas uh, seem to be almost uh, universal and uh, very much a part of the, the human psyche regardless of organized religion or dogma, it seems as though we're hot-wired for this sort of a, a concept. Frank, where did the ancients get their knowledge from? The, it always amazes me when you come on and you tell us about this, uh, for example, tonight, this po- this wooden computer, and how, you know, they, they celebrated the solstice. You know, where did they get the knowledge? This, this computer that I mentioned is referred to by archaeologists as Woodhenge, and it was remarkably sophisticated. It, it couldn't have been built before oh, more than more than a thousand years ago. Now, that's not ancient history, but still, nonetheless, it was built, uh, archaeologists speculate, about 900 A.D. Mm-hmm. It's referred to as Woodhenge, and the, these posts, these cedar posts, were arranged in a perfect circle, and in the center of the circle was a large... Uh, post that the observer or the astronomer, if you want to put it that way, would climb to the top, and he could look along the horizon, use these posts as gun sights, and he could calculate incredible amount of astronomical detail with great precision. The rise of certain constellations, especially the Pleiades, big emphasis on that, the elders, other uh, solstices, uh, phases of the moon, just incredible, although the main uh, orientation, as I said, was again the summer sol- the, the winter solstice. Now, that's a very interesting question you ask, of course, and people have been wondering about that a long time. Where did this information come from? I can only conclude, I only speculate, that in some of these cultures, there's no doubt that they inherited it from another higher culture, that they were presented with the great gift of a technology by older, more sophisticated cultures. However, others themselves are so old that they evolved similar, even scientific conclusions on their own in isolation. So I would guess, I have no way of absolutely knowing, that there are two answers to your question. One, these societies lasted a long time, and as these societies grew over time, they preserved more and more knowledge and passed it down and slowly evolved these high cultures over time. Others, however, don't show any indication of that at all. They show an, an abrupt beginning. A case in point is uh, the very earliest um, American civilization, the Olmecs in Mexico, in the Valley of Mexico. Until 1,500 years before Christ, there was nothing in the Valley of Mexico. There was nothing going on. Sparse population, people that live there, a very low-level material culture. 1500 B.C., boom, overnight, you have people that are building massive pyramids, huge sculpted heads, uh, astronomical information, uh, mathematics, uh, coded uh, uh, governmental uh, systems, uh, agriculture, irrigation, all overnight. Everything that would indicate that that culture was gifted it was impacted by somebody on the outside. Frank, stand by. You and I have to take our commercial break. Frank Joseph is our special guest. Ancient American Magazine is the name of the publication that he is editor-in-chief. 
We'll be back on the other side of this break right here on Talkstar. All Hit Radio. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. It's the most wonderful time of the year With the kids jingle-belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer It's the most wonderful time of the year It's the half-happiest season of all With those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings When friends come to call It's the half-happiest season Frank Joseph is with us. He is the uh, editor-in-chief of Ancient American Magazine. The website is www.ancientamerican.com. So, Frank, we've got the Omex going into, uh, we're going back in time to 1500 B.C., where, bang, everything started to happen. Uh, What happened at that time in the history timeline to ignite such a change? Well, that's a, a good question because, uh, see, you're doing something that the scholars don't do. They look at a problem like that and they look very closely at it, but they don't take into consideration what happened in the rest of the world. What else was going on? A lot was going on. Around 1500 B.C., now we have to give some leeway here. It's not okay. exactly 1500 B.C. We're talking about 100 years one way or the other, but it's pretty narrow in historical terms. But right around the same time, I would, actually I've narrowed my research, it's almost exactly the same time, there was, one, there was possibly the largest explosion that was ever heard by mankind. And that's when the island of Thera, a volcanic island in the Aegean, in the uh, eastern Mediterranean, exploded with a force that, out, that would have outdone any nuclear event. Wow. And when that exploded, it totally decimated the uh, civilization of Minoan Crete and uh, Eastern Mediterranean uh, society, and that this set in motion great waves of migration. Uh, and We're talking about not just uh, uh, cattle and agricultural people, we're talking about people who belong to a high civilization, who found that it was no longer tenable to live where they were, and they moved on. Um, our supposition at Ancient American, of course, is that some of these immigrants uh, were able to not only have a high culture to make pyramids and so forth, but they were also great seafarers as well, in that they left their decimated old world and came to the new world and helped to spark American civilization in the Valley of Mexico. And that is, I think, uh, extremely well borne out by the events that took place in 1500 B.C., um, we were talking a little bit earlier about these uh, structures yes. that are oriented to uh, the winter solstice. I've been asked, uh, I've had a couple of shows like this, but people have asked me, what proof do I have for these things? What, what, where can they read about it? Um, the only place that I know of, I'm not trying to, to push my book or sell it, but I, I really don't know where the other source would be. Well, you should. Like I wrote called uh, 
Lost Pyramids of Rock Lake. That's available through Ancient American. And that talks about Aztalan and Cahokia in detail and outlines uh, the Great Woodhenge. Uh, that's this astronomical computer and so on. So if people, if listeners are interested in wanting to follow up on that, that's all described in the Lost Pyramids of Rock Lake. Um, but to get back to this, the 1500 B.C. date, it's an extremely interesting time. Not only did this volcano explode, which is a historical fact, but now it's been understood for just about 10 years, not too long, the scientific community has admitted that there was a very close pass of a dangerous comet which passed by our comet four separate times, and one of those close calls was around 1500 B.C., and it had a tremendously disruptive effect on societies not only in uh, Europe but also in Asia. And I think that this comet, which set things in motion like uh, the the eruption of Thera, also uh, set in motion these great waves of migration and shook up civilization and helped her sort of reconstitute it. And if you look at things like this in the broader perspective, they seem to make sense. It's only when you become so narrow, like uh, so many archaeologists do, that they become they become inexplicable. We, The archaeologists, the, the uh, academics, have no explanation of why civilization suddenly erupted in the Valley of Mexico around 1500 B.C. But if you look at it in the greater context of what was happening throughout the world... It, it makes perfect sense. Clear. It makes very. It makes perfect sense why it happened. Especially when you see the Olmec culture itself. That's what we're talking about here. This is the earliest known civilization in the Americas, the Olmec civilization. You can see influences from obviously outside the Americas. The most notable of them all, of course, are the uh, sculptures of bearded men who do not have uh, Amer American uh, facial features at all. Some of the sculpture shows what very clearly are Indian people, but a number of them show people that are definitely not. Very long skulls and uh, with, with beards and facial hair, which the uh, people, ancient people in Mexico could not grow. The native people did not grow. And you also see, of course, some of the great sculpted heads, these enormous uh, monolithic sculpted heads of what are clearly West African blacks. No doubt about it. There's There's no... Uh, question about it, although the archaeologists uh, stick their heads in the sand and say, oh no, they just represent uh, gods or sometimes they're supposed to represent giant babies. I don't know, that's strange. I've been, it's one of the theories that represent giant babies, infants, but in fact, of course, they are very accurate representations of clearly discernible West African blacks. And I believe that civilization, not just European civilization, but I think West African and mm-hmm. Asian civilizations were also stirred up, and a lot of them made it to the Americas, because Mexico was, at that time, the least affected of all these areas. It was a great place to settle. Why not come here? If you've got the capacity, if you can build a, a great pyramid and you can build a tremendous irrigation system, you certainly can build a boat that will take you across the ocean. But that, of course, is something that we are in constant conflict with the establishment about, and that's why <laughs> we have ancient American, I suppose. Frank, why is it so impossible for the established sciences to rethink what really happened and say, you know what, we made a mistake. You know, uh, the information that we had at one time clearly showed in our best our best uh, 
guesses that this is how it happened. But now, based on the new information that uh, that we are coming that that is coming to us, we have to change what we have previously said, and this is what happened. Why can't they just do that? Well, to their credit, there are a growing number who are coming around. Uh, I would say as recently as 10 years ago, uh, they were adamant in their insistence that no one was here before Columbus. They drew a line in the sand. However, the accumulating information, and I'm very proud to say that Ancient American has been part of this movement, uh, has convinced a growing number of them to say, well, it's possible, or yes, things need to be revised, especially in terms of the ancient uh, settling of the Americas. Uh, it's no longer believed, I would think, by a dwindling majority, it's believed by a dwindling majority that uh, the first human beings crossed a, a non-existent land bridge only 13,000 years ago into Alaska. Uh, that, that whole thesis has just come crashing down and uh, if not, that, that's going to be, I think, completely junked in the next few years, totally discredited. It has been discredited, will be. Things like the Olmecs, though, uh, sprouting out of nowhere, there's even a beginning there. Michael Cole, who is the man who actually found the Olmecs, identified them. He is the, one of the doyens of Mesoamerican scholarship. He's retired now, but after he retired, he said, well, while I was a practicing archaeologist, I could not come out and say what I knew. And that was that I could definitely trace influences from Indonesia into the Americas. I now say that, that there is, he's come on record and said that, yes, there are these definite influences from Asia in the Americas that may have had a seminal influence in starting civilization here. But he says there was no way that I could have said that while I was in tenure. Isn't so that just shows you the vice grip yeah. that's on uh, the, the, uh, the political aspect of, uh, of history is politics, let me tell you. History is not a discipline or a, even a search for the truth. History and archaeology especially are very political, and that becomes clear to anybody that begins to pay close attention to it. Frank, uh, what happened in the skies over Bethlehem on December the 25th. Are there any other reports of of uh, astronomical um, sightings that night of a peculiar star in the sky? Uh, I am uh, by no means an expert in this field. Um, uh, I don't live too far from uh, St. Paul, Minneapolis, and there is an astronomer there who uh, has a, an excellent show he puts on every year to show that the Star of Bethlehem, he feels, was a supernova that took place at that time. Uh, there's been a lot of debate over that. Uh, we don't know just when that supernova happened. Mm -hmm. Could have been around 2,000 years ago or maybe a lot earlier than that. Uh, I am one for not taking these things too literally. Uh, the whole story of Christ and his virgin birth and resurrection of and all that are repeated in numerous mythological traditions long before established Christianity. Going back thousands of years, you'll see the same story, even including the star that leads wise men in the story of Krishna, for example. Now, this doesn't in any way 
uh, denigrate from the story of Christ or Krishna or any of these people. What we're talking about, I believe, is something basic to the human condition, and that it's a mistake to try to concretize religious feeling, religious myth, because that leads to religious wars, has done that, and strife. And instead, these things are not meant to be taken seriously in the sense that they actually happened. They happened not factually, but they happened in, ter in terms of an eternal truth. Now that star, for example, we don't have to believe that it actually happened. What the star symbolizes is new hope. The, the hope of mankind. Christ is a, the birth of Christ is associated with a new star in the heavens, not because of Jesus or because God the Father says, okay, I'm going to put this star up there. Not, not something as juvenile as that, but rather Christ symbolized the new light of the world. And if we accept this as a great poem, uh, as a great mythological drama, it assumes far more powerful truth than if we try to say, oh, well, you know, maybe there really was a star. If you try to take these things apart scientifically, you'll have endless debates. Yeah. You will never be able to come to a final answer. And as much as this great astronomer in the Twin Cities has tried to show, there is no consensus of opinion at all. And maybe he's right, maybe he's wrong. And in the meantime, the, the message is lost. So for, for me, and uh, I can't speak for others, but I don't take any of these things literally. I take them uh, in, in the high truths that they symbolize. It's it's just like Greek mythology. It's it's a mythology, not a religion. And look well, how powerful that is. It can be really quite a bad thing. Religion comes from the word yoke, or to relegate. Uh, it's spirituality that, that counts. I mean, you can have all the religion in the world, all the great theological mm -hmm. knowledge, but if you don't have any spiritual birth in the heart, you have nothing. And that's the whole message of Christ. That's the whole message, that's the whole message of the virgin birth, is you have to have this virgin birth in the heart. It's not something that's take, to be taken literally. I mean, if people can't understand it beyond a literal understanding, well, perhaps, you know. But it's, the high truth of it is that that star that accompanied the birth of Christ meant a new hope in the world, just as the virgin birth didn't actually have to take place in a, in a biological sense. Who cares, even? Rather, it's the virgin birth in the heart that is the important thing. One eight seven seven five two eight eight two five five is toll free. My name is Rob McConnell. My special guest this hour is Frank Joseph. He's an author, and he's also the editor in chief of Ancient American Magazine. And their website is www.ancientamerican.com. Frank, is there any new discoveries or news when it comes to Atlantis? Uh, yes, there is. A tremendous uh, discovery, but unfortunately, it's extremely costly to go after it. Um, I'm having a book coming out uh, next year, which talks about it in some detail. Um, there's a site that's been discovered about 220 miles due west of the Straits of Gibraltar, and um, if any uh, serious oceanographic uh, undertaking would be put there, there's a very good chance something would be found. And um, the reason why we think so is because Plato described Atlantis as being a fairly large island. He doesn't say exactly how large. Mm -hmm. A large island that is kind of circular and surrounded, he says, by 
a ridge by a, a range of mountains, high mountains. Well, specifically, that island has now been found. A large, fairly large island, certainly not a continent. It has a ring of mountains, just as he described, and just as he described is outside the Straits of Gibraltar, and that's a place that needs to be looked at. However, I can say that the chances of find, ever finding Atlantis are extremely low, not because it did not exist or because its ruins aren't down there. The magnitude of the destruction was so great that it seems highly unlikely that something as fragile as a civilization would have survived the initial blast mm -hmm. or would have survived being under the sea for more than 3,000 years with all the sedimentary deposition going on. Frank, stand by. You and I have to take our final break. Frank Joseph is our special guest, www.ancientamerican.com. Still to come on tonight's show, Patrick Cook with the Cook Report. That's right here live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Frank Joseph is our special guest. He is the editor-in-chief of Ancient American Magazine, www.ancientamerican.com. First of all, Frank, to you and yours, the very best of the Christmas season, and may you have a wonderful New Year, my friend. Well, thank you very much, Rob, and it's been a wonderful friendship and relationship I've had with you over the years, and so this is a great chance for me to express my gratitude and thanks for that and wish you and, of course, everyone... Uh, surrounded with your important work. A uh, very uh, wonderful time of the year. And happy winter solstice and Christmas and, uh, and great New Year's for everyone. Thank you very much. I certainly will pass that on to one and all, Frank. Um, just, just before we go, uh, when you're talking about the possibility of, of finding Atlantis, why would it be so hard to get a um, an oceanographic uh, crew in it and and have them work on it as a joint venture for example like the National Geographic why wouldn't they be interested in something like this working with Ancient American Magazine well unfortunately National Geographic uh, Magazine uh, is also a highly politicized uh, organization they do great work I don't mean to put yeah. them down at all nonetheless they have to be uh, uh, beholden to their uh, conservative backers and they have to rely upon the cooperation of uh, mainstream archaeology. And therefore, uh, anything outside that will really undercut their sources. So I think they do a fabulous job within the parameters uh, that, have, that they've accepted. Um, they're a, a going concern. But uh, nonetheless, it's kind of tragic, because uh, with all that tremendous resources and that great genius talent, the mm -hmm. talent that they have, if they would uh, somehow be able to expand it more, um, be able to examine things like the true origins of the Olmecs and where did American civilization come from and how old is mankind, things like this, or 
investigate the things that are have been astounded uh, scientists for years. For example, the the dinosaur tracks, yes. along with human footprints, which has, that problem has so far not been uh, resolved. It seems that things people like that. It seems like people want to stay away from that. Well, not people. I think people uh, like you and I and the average person are fascinated and oh, enormously compelled by this information, but uh, the people that uh, control the uh, sources of information don't want us to consider these things, or if we do consider them, we're ridiculed. It's only what they tell us to believe, which we're, we're supposed to believe, and uh, that's that's restrictive. That's, that's unfortunate. As far as why not look for Atlantis, well, sure, it could be done. Uh, the technology exists at least to to do a proper survey, but uh, that takes a lot of money, and I don't know of any uh, mainstream <laughs> conventional uh, research organization that would dare risk the ridicule of their colleagues in even attempting to look for such a thing, even though uh, now there is good reason to look in this one place especially. Frank, if I win the lottery, you've got your, uh, <laughs> you've got it, buddy. Well, thank you very much, Rob. That's very nice. That's very good of you, Rob. I'd only need about $4 million, so it's not much. <laughs> Frank, take care of yourself, my friend, and we look forward to speaking to you in the year 2008. So once again, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, and you'll tie to you and yours there. And I, I look forward to talking to you soon again, Rob. Always my pleasure, sir. Frank Joseph, he is the editor-in-chief of Ancient American Magazine, www.ancientamerican.com. Com. Now, when we come back from the news at the top of the hour at six and a half minutes past, Patrick Cook will be joining me with this week's edition of The Cook Report, right here live and around the world on the Talk Star Radio Network from Hamilton.